Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Bloody Good Horror. My name's Eric, and I'll be your host for this evening, where we will be reviewing M. Night Shyamalan's latest called Knock at the Cabin. Joining me first up tonight, special guest returning back to the show. Please welcome Matilda. Hi. Next up on the show from Indiana, please welcome Casey. Hello. And last up from Manhattan, New York City. We will learn tonight if over the 15-year course of this show, John has learned how to say M. Night Shyamalan's name correctly. Uh, Please (laughs) please welcome Josh Norris to the show. Shyamalan. Oh, okay. I was listening to you say it, right, and I, that's how I was reminding myself. I ruined it. I ruined, but coming in strong. We know your guts, like sh- sh- Shyamalan. Uh, I really <laughs> want to say, I want to say it that way so bad. Shyamalan, Shyamalan, uh, ding dong. That's how I'm going to remember it. <laughs> John, fifty percent of the people on the show tonight are drinking hot, delicious tea and sitting under blankets. Who do you think? I am 50%? drinking a delicious tea. Oh, right are you to- also? Yeah, seventy-five. Let's do it. Um, very, Mine's I, a, I have a ginger tea. Oh, I have a heated blanket on right now. How about you, Matilda? I also have a heated blanket <laughs> yes. on. Yes, it's freezing here. That's right. <laughs> I just want to point out, I'm the only one with a full head of gray hair, and I'm not drinking tea or using a heated blanket. <laughs> That's true. That's true. My beard is going pretty gray, as you can see on the live stream tonight. If you're a Patreon, my children like to point this out to me on a daily basis. Oh yeah. Um, you know, John, we've really like cr- chronicled the career of M night Shyamalan over the course of our show since 2007, we weren't around for the rise, but we were definitely down for the, we were around for the fall and then the rise back up again. And then the car like started fishtailing. And then these days it's <laughs> like, you're never really sure what you're going to get. Uh, we've been around for a lot of it. It, that is to say. No, that's true. Um, I don't, Casey, I think you might, maybe Matilda's watch. I, I know Eric hasn't. The the Servant show. That's yes. now, it's in its fourth oh, yeah. season, I think. Yeah. Uh, they did, they have announced it's the final season though. Um, I'm kind of curious. Like the, the people seem to like it. It's pretty it's good, great. but I, it's important to point out we're in the fourth season and I still don't know what the hell's going on. Oh, see, so that's this, a long time. <laughs> oh, this yeah. is this is a show. This is a show he's done. I'm not familiar. Yeah, he yeah. fully he's Apple TV. the full guy behind it. Yeah, Apple TV. Interesting. What's the elevator and pitch? And it's uh, how Casey? How would you say this? There's a couple so, in Brooklyn. Yes, there's a couple in Brooklyn awesome. who the wife is a prominent uh, local news celebrity, and the husband is a famous chef. And then they have their brother, who is Ron Weasley, who is the wife's bro- uh, oh, brother. Okay, so Weasley, but, they're like thick as thieves. These two, Shyamalan and Weasley, because yeah, he's in this movie yes. too. Yes, Rupert, Ron Weasley. Yeah, Rupert Grant and uh, M Night are pretty tight these days. But no, in Servant, they there was a mishap when the wife had a ba- had to bait her baby originally, and the baby had. Passed away. This isn't too spoilery. This already, is like the plot of the show. You already lost. But they, uh, is this a drama? Is it a horror thing? Yes. Okay. Both. That's cool. I don't need to know anymore. That's fine. Yes. Yeah. It's um, also funny at times. A, yeah. A drama. And it's funny. very psychological. I mean, that's, that's M Night. Yeah. That's a that's a calling card. Like even this film, 
as sort of grim as it is at has times, some, there's, there's jokes. No. But it's say, not necessarily M. Yeah. Night Twist. It's sure. just weird. Of course. Well, you don't know what's happening yet, it's Casey. Just He's going to hit you with the That's twist true. at some point. Yeah. I, uh, but it's not like uh, like trying your patience. Like It's not like Lost or something where you're like, is this going to pay off or not? Like, How it's dare not kind you of, speak yeah. against Lost? <laughs> I did finally with this movie, I finally, I think, figured out who Rupert Grint is. Like when I see that the, that name in writing, like I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. And I would always see that name and be like, is that a person's name or like a Harry Potter character's name? Because it a hundred percent looks like a character name mm-hmm. for that movie. Um, yeah. Anyway, we'll get to him and his questionable Boston accent in a little bit here. Uh, let's take a quick break and discuss Knock at the Cabin. This is it, I did, John, cumulatively live in Boston for 10 years. So at least on this crew, I think that makes me the most qualified to judge his accent. I can pick out re- I can pick out regionalism. So I think that, you know, cut above here. It's fair. Fair. Um, John Schnars. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? In a word, in a word, one mm-hmm. word, how do you feel about M. Night Shyamalan? Peaceful. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You feel mm-hmm. personally peaceful. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. see where I went with that. I like that. To your point, we've lived. <laughs> We're old dogs. We've been around a long time. Like at some we've point, lived it the takes, career. It takes a lot to get a rise out of us. At some point, <laughs> we covered the happening on oh, this here podcast. Right. If you want to hear angry M Night, go hop on Patreon.com/slash Bloody Good Horror and listen to our review of the happening. Yeah, it's worth noting we didn't. I don't think we covered uh, what's Lady in the Water. We absolutely did. I've never seen it. So to we, the extent it was covered, I either didn't participate or we definitely did. Cause I remember ranting about, I remember ranting about, um, uh, Sam Rockwell. No, is it Sam Rockwell or somebody else? There, there's a character in that movie that for some reason has worked out and has one giant arm. Mm. That's the one thing I remember from lady. In the Water. Yeah. And How lady did you guys the, feel about the and, and lady uh, in the water, oh, lady in the water is the one where M night Shyamalan cast himself as like a movie reviewer that's going to save the world or something like that? Or like, a, well, he, no, he's, he's like an author a, that's, yes. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. he's a writer. He's always in the movie, right? So that, that was where I was going is how did, what, what was your grade on his uh, cameo here? Because too much. I would say like, hi. Like, yeah, I liked it. Too much. I don't, I don't want to see him that much. He's a terrible actor. So oh, the, you, wait, you mean in this movie? In this he was movie, too much yeah. though? Yeah. No. Oh, I thought it was. I want to see him in like a reflection walking by in the background of a scene. And that's literally <laughs> that's, it. I think yeah. that's unbreakable one. Or the, like, to me, this is like and, and he does it, too. And um, well, I'm sure we'll come up tonight is uh, not uh, not glass. split, but glass. He's like a character in glass. And that's a problem. Yeah. Like it's he's just, not a character. He's on the television for 20 seconds in this movie. It's too much. Yeah. This movie felt like a good throwback to Arrested Development and the Cornballs. <laughs> sure. I mean, yes. okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the dad was making yeah. that uh, deep fried cream balls. Yeah. No, I yeah. mean, I, I like vaguely I remember. I understand what the reference. But, yeah. It's also um, like that's, if that's what he was referencing here, 
Good on him. <laughs> you know, like for the 25 people. That yeah. John, John, please bring us the word of the day. Eric, today's word is portent. Mm. P-O-R-T-E-N-T, portent, a sign or warning that something, especially something momentous or calamitous, is likely to happen. Uh, There's also a literary definition. It says an exceptional or wonderful person or thing. That's never heard it used that way before, but great. Um, Comes to us from the Latin portendere. Portendere. uh, Portentum means an omen or token. That's also in the Latin. Uh, And then eventually passes through the English and, and, you know, here we are. Omen, I guess, is is where, you know, you would well, start that definition. John, tell me what that has to do with this movie and tell me about this movie. Yeah, I guess we should, I don't know, like lay down like a general spoiler. Yeah, However, I, so. I would put forth that this entire movie's plot is revealed in the trailer. So to the extent you've seen the trailer to this film, there's not like secrets here. Um, right. And the, the final, it's not even a twist really at the end, but like the final kind of decision, like it's not really a twist. It's just, no, you got to pick one no thing twist. or the other. And so, you know, like, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But I, there, this is like the least twist. We always listen. Any, any. I, all of our reviews are spoiler heavy. So just know that. Sure. But I guess what I was going to say is I'm going to like lay out the like very, the, this, so here it is. Cause it's, it's a, there's a lot involved, but like the setup is a lot, but like then the mechanics of what's happening plot wise are not, um, you've got four, you've got a family of three. We'll start with them. There's two, two fathers. It's a, it's a gay couple and they've adopted a a daughter who's Chinese. Um, they, uh, they are doing a vacation in Pennsylvania, it's sort of like the Poconos, maybe. I mean, and I say that mainly because I think they reference Philly a couple times. He's also from the area. He like kind of is like around where I actually grew up. Uh, he, he being M Night, um, and they're at this cabin. They're there to do a weekend. Literally, they've just shown up at the cabin, and Dave Batista walks out of the woods, approaches the daughter who's out catching crickets or whatever, and basically says like hey you got to go back in the cabin and like some bad stuff's about to start happening three other people show up they then explain to this family after a a tussle to get into the cabin that um they explain to the two dads that the they've all these four people have collectively seen the same vision of the end of the world and the only way to prevent the end of the world is that the family the three of them have to decide which of them is going to be a sacrifice to save humanity and that then the other the family has to kill that person who is the sacrifice and that's like that is the concept to save the world and so then the plot of the film is that they basically are given opportunities to make the choice when they don't make the choice one of the four people and we can kind of go through them i mean you mentioned rupert grant dave batista uh this actress nikki amuka bird um, uh, and then Abby Quinn, we've seen all these folks. I mean, they're, they're, you know, solid, recognizable actors. Um, each time the family refuses to choose the, the sort of like four people kill one of 
their group and in like pretty graphic ways. A little fuzzy, and then, a little fuzzy on the, the rules there, but what we can talk yeah, about. Yeah. Well, so then they die and then like a bad thing happens. And so that we go through a cycle of that because there's a lot of, we can get into it. Like the family doesn't want to make the choice for obvious reasons Four random strangers show up at your cabin explaining to you like a super crazy thing. You're not making this choice. And so then the film, the, the sort of narrative arc of the film is sort of, will they make this choice to save humanity? Is that even like a real thing that's happening or is there some sort of craziness among these four people and, and so on and so forth. So, Along the way, you get some of the background of the four people, and then you get a lot of background about the family and sort of how this couple came together, what they've sort of been through, the the sort of, um, you, you know, uh, homophobia that they've experienced in their lives and, and sort of both individually and together. And then they we also learn about, you know, their adoption of this daughter and so on and so forth. So that's the tee up. I wasn't listening, but I'm sure that was great. No, yeah. I, I could um, <laughs> Matilda, as our guest tonight, what did you think of this movie? And you also, because you're very smart, read, went and read the book in like a couple days, which we have to talk about that. You're like, I picked it up this weekend, right? I mean, I did the audio book, so <laughs> just know I, I was listening with one ear while I'm like doing the dishes for a couple <laughs> days, but I know there was a lot of scuttlebutt about like, people being unhappy that the book and the movie were a little bit different. So I wanted to know what that was about. Who the, so this is the author that wrote uh, house of grass or what's that other book. It's, it's like a pretty well-known and well-loved horror yes. author and book. Yeah. Yes. And, and in this, in his, the book has a different name, which is the cabin at the end of the world. Mm-hmm. The authors. Um, and Paul there are, Tremblay, you know, we just can, the record, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I would say that I am kind of, like John, you said peaceful. I'm kind of agnostic going into an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Generally, like, I don't have a ton of faith, but I'm also not like, I'm out, I'm so mad going into this. I'm, you know, I'm not in that camp. Um, and this, I thought this was solid. You know, the performances are really good. Um, the camera work is very, very pretty. Uh, the pacing is actually great. I don't feel like it falls too hard at any point and and it's not excessively long. Um, I do think, and we had talked about this a little bit in the um, before the show, like I don't think the tension ever got to where the tension needed to go. Um, and this is pretty grim and gory material told in a pretty non-grim and gory way for the most part. Part. I mean, most of the violence happens off camera. Most of the kind of world violence and disaster is happening off camera with the exception of one shot, which we'll talk about, which is pretty great. Um, but I think for that reason, it doesn't necessarily, um, I wasn't gripped in the same way that I wanted to be other than by the performances. I kept thinking these people are doing so well in this movie and that's not necessarily so i was like a little bit in and a little bit out for the most of it for mm -hmm. most of it casey yeah i did really like the oh sorry go ahead no, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I, I did want to say i did really like going into the trailer um i thought that it was going to just going to be that one big kind of like 
what would you do in this situation question. I think it even says like, what would you do in the trailer or something mm -hmm. like that, or in the materials for this. Um, and I thought that the choice to have a gay couple in that, um, in this position who we see have had to like the, the outside world is something they've had to defend themselves against. Um, kind of complicates and layers that question a little bit. And so I, I presume I that, like I, that. Yeah. I presume that's in the book also. It is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Casey, Casey, what'd you think? Um, I ended up loving like 90% of this movie. It kind of uh, falls off at the very end. It's the finale that I have issues with. It is. I kind of hoped it'd be more ambiguous in the finale. Otherwise, I didn't know for sure what I was getting into. I never really watched the trailer. I haven't read the book, but I was aware of it. I didn't know for sure what was going on here. So as the story unfolded, I was really wrapped up into it, and I was really sucked into it. And I thought it was cool. There's kind of a four horsemen analogy going on here, and it literally made me think, oh, which was cool in the moment of watching it. And I really enjoyed that part of it. It's just that the end, I wish it would have been, they put too fine of a point on the ending of this, on the very finale. And I'm talking like the last five, 10 minutes of this movie that they put too fine a point on. And that's where my issues pop up beyond that. I thought the acting and stuff was great. It looked great. Dave Batista. I got to tell you, I'm blown away. I thought he was yeah, awesome. He was. And from the very moment he showed up, I'm sitting there as a viewer of this movie, watching the movie, like, I don't know if I should trust him, but I want to trust him because he seems really nice and he seems really cool. And it was nice to see <laughs> that that carries through his character throughout the movie that, you know, there's some weird shit going on, but he's a good dude. And I really connected with that. And I thought it was super impressive from Dave Batista. We know him as Drax, the destroyer, a couple other movies. He's, usually typecasted as your typical action guy. And there was a lot of depth to his character. And I thought he really pulled it off. John. Yeah. I mean, the movie, this is, I guess this is like where I am overall with M night. Cause I, I feel in some ways the same way I felt about old, which is mm -hmm. they're very well made. Like they're he's very, a very, if you were going to have to like create a list of like quality of his movies, I think these two, those two would be neck and neck. His last two. Yeah. They, they're, they, when I say they're well-made, they're, they're well-directed. Matilda mentioned the pacing. The acting is really solid. There's a lot of folks that, you know, um, he uses over and over. Um, uh, the woman, uh, who plays, I think her name's Sabrina, the actress in the movie. I was just looking yeah, Sabrina, who's like one of the four. She was in old, you know, Dave Batista. I don't know that he's worked with before, but you guys mentioned Rupert Grant. Like, you know, there's some there's some folks come back. The other we haven't mentioned, but like the the couple, I didn't the one dad I didn't know, Daddy Andrew, but uh, Jonathan Groff plays Daddy Eric, who just what a delight that Jonathan Groff just <laughs> love that guy. Um, so it's it's extremely well acted. It is well directed. You know, in that you know it hits a lot of notes. It's also it looks good. Like it's a pretty looking film. I don't know that all the, this, I mean, Matilda, you hit on some of the things with like the way the violence and the action plays off screen. I was actually curious. This is rated PG third. No, it's rated R. Well, I don't understand with an R rated movie, 
some of the decisions they made because I think they could have probably given this a little bit more of an edge for an R-rated film. Like, who are you turning off at a certain point, right? Like, it's already rated R. And we can come back to that. Um, but it, so it, it like both looks good, but then some R? of the decisions are just weird. It's bizarre that it's rated R. Like why? Uh, well, there was a lot of cursing, yeah. you know, there's a lot of like, you can be rated R for just so right. So putting kids in peril. So why not just go all the way? Yeah. It's good yeah. Um, well, and right. look, I liked some, some of the imagery of when they put the socks on their face or whatever the fuck those things are, they were putting on their yeah. face. There was there's good image and is images in this movie. I think ultimately for me, and and I'm so curious about the book because it does seem to have like this devoted following. I just think like structurally, this story doesn't work at least the way they tell it here. And that's why I'm I'm very curious how the book is different. You mentioned some of some of the stuff over email. Um, the the tension of the film is sort of like, will these people kill one of their three-person family to save humanity? But we'd, we as the audience, and they certainly don't know that that decision is like a real decision for like a large part of the film. Because the first two calamities that happen, you know, after the first two people die, it's all a little like, I don't know. I mean, th- there is plausible explanations that certainly the one dad is trying to work through. And then the other dad who has a concussion is just like fucking clueless. And I don't know. So it, there's a lot of like, what the hell's happening here, but also like, we're all just sitting there like, all right, just tell us what's happening. Because at a certain point we're in the same darkness that they are. There's no, I guess another way to say it is there's no dramatic tension. We don't know something that the characters don't know. And, and like, similarly, they don't know anything that we don't know. Even the four people who have these visions they, they're like taking it on faith that all this stuff is real and happening. And so it's, it's a little like no one, we're all like being revealed the same things at the same time, which is a bit of a weird position to put the audience vis-a-vis the characters. I don't know. Yeah. I, um, I'm pretty on board with everybody here. I enjoyed this movie. I think it's pretty decent. And frankly, I think like de- decent's a good spot for M night to be. Cause I feel like for years, he was either knocking him out of the park or just falling flat on his face. Like he, yeah. And I, I, I like the word peaceful for as far as a feeling about him, because it like, to me, he's like this sort of precocious artist. Like you can't hold this dude down. He's going to do some crazy shit and it may or may not work, but he doesn't care. I saw this interview where somebody was kind of asking him about critics and he was like, just, he's like, I don't really care like what people say about what I do. And like, that does I don't always love when people are like that because sometimes it can just come across weird. But I just kind of, I don't know, I I admire the fact that he stayed doing what he does and, like, has had wins. Um, well, and I that's think it's thing. an improvement like been, that his, like... Been, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I just think, like, making an okay movie is pretty good for him, I feel like. When, when he's shown that he has the ability to make just absolute turd bombs when he <laughs> takes big swings... Um, I, you know, these last two movies have just been like good, decent, like little horror thrillers. And that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I was going to say like, he's always, I I mean, I haven't, I was going to try and pull up the numbers. Like he's been commercially viable. Even his like worst movies, worst movies are not like absolute bomb flops because he's continued. 
he's fought to keep himself relevant even through well and he works know, within yeah. a budget and then delivers movies that people do go see like this was i think number one at the box and office. i think what's been interesting is again like we, we watched this happen after uh avatar whatever that movie he was he did with a uh, will uh Oh yeah, the not not the yes. not the James. After, no, I'm thinking. After, I thought you were talking about the new After Avatar. Earth. So he did the Avatar a lot. Uh, he did that movie After Earth with Will Smith, right? Bombed so bad that I think it might have been Avatar, where his name wasn't even on. Like he, he went through a period where distributors would not put his name in the advertising, which is it was a huge drop for a person who was like M Night Shyamalan's The Village or whatever, right? And yeah. now he's kind of back to the to a place where he can put his well, name he, on stuff, and I just think that's a cool. That's a comeback story that I can get behind. Because it came back with uh, the visit, right? As with bad the as as bad as Glass was, I've, I've forgiven him for that. But anyway, the, like I think what's interesting, like the best, there are some like really fantastic performances in this movie, and I think everybody's kind of talking about Batista, and I and I think that he, I'm sure, has something working in his favor that it's just unexpected. Like you just, mm-hmm. especially if you don't know him and his work that well, you're not really expecting this like layered performance. And I think what he, what, what he is portraying here that is so interesting is like, um, a timidness. Like he is sort of a shy, timid person who believes in what he feels, but like has trouble being as assertive as he kind of needs to be in the situation. Like he's sort of forced to try to find that in himself kind of throughout the movie. But watching that layered, subtle performance is really fascinating. And in the yeah. very first scene you see him, you do you are like, oh, is this guy like scary? But I would say within five minutes, you're like, oh, he, you kind of know the deal and you're not scary, scared of him really. But I also yeah. think that that hinders, <laughs> I think that that hinders the film. Like I think that that structure, which in a book I could totally see gives you all of this room for like deep character studies across the board. Like you just, I'm sure you get to know everybody in this like story really well in the book in a way that keeps you engaged. The problem is that because the idea is that they can't kill them or hurt them, I think it diffuses a lot of the actual plot tension. And then because, because the Batista character is like likable, like, yeah, he, mm-hmm. I'm not to say, I'm not saying there's no tension, um, and the human stuff is the best part of the movie. I just think it's a trade-off. I think by making them so real and human and kind of timid about what they're doing, you do diffuse the horror a little bit. Um, yeah. so for me, the second act just drags like I, there is actually like, um, you can like hear the tight, the like wheel crank at the beginning of the third act. It's like, it becomes a different movie instantaneously. The pace picks up, the tension picks up, the action picks up. After this just long stretch, we were like, good God, like now, you know, and you are in the second act fleshing out the lives of these father characters, which is pretty interesting stuff. It just kind of goes on for a while. Um, I think my favorite performance, honestly, is um, I'll call him Angry Daddy. (laughs) Um, I love Frozen Dude there. Was that his name? Jonathan Goff. But I think the like, yeah, the man, you just you the other dude, you feel his trauma and torture and he's like he's fighting so hard to keep his own shit together for the sake of like this family and this relationship that has clearly helped him in so many ways but he always seems like he's keeping it together by a thread and like that is some of the best tension in the movie honestly is like just waiting for him to lose his mind well it's pretty realistic too because you see that 
through the flashbacks, you see the angry dad does not have the familiar support, uh, family support and stuff like that, that the other dad does. The other dad's family seem to be supporting and completely accepting to their relationship and them adopting a daughter and stuff like that. Whereas there was always that angst from angry dad and his parents that they never fully accepted him like that flashback that they showed where his parents drove seven hours to have lunch with them and stayed 45 <laughs> minutes and left was heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so, can I, I want to do a thought experiment here sure. and this is where I'm very, we and maybe we can pull on the book stuff too. Like let's say you're these four people and you honestly believe that you need to, con- like the thing that is confusing about this is to one extent, the timeline of like when it's all happening or when it all needs to happen by, but also like, okay, you need to convince three people that what they need to kill one of them. There's just like better ways to go about it than to show up with a bunch of creepy weapons <laughs> and like, yeah, like they, I don't know, like it just, so this is where like it, that's the part that there's a bit of a, uh, you know, believability hump you got to get over. And and I actually like while I'm sitting there watching the movie, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I guess this is how it happened. As soon as you start thinking about it after the fact, I'm like, wait, why did they have the axe with like the wire around it? And it also had like a, a, a hoe or something. You're kind of expecting an explanation for like the ornamental nature of the weapons and you don't really get it. Yeah. Well, and yeah. They, they're acting None of the four people, this is, I mean, whatever, this is all somewhat backstory. Like they don't, they didn't know each other. They're coming from different parts of the country. They all had this vision. Is it like, were they religious? Was it a religious fit? Like they, there's a believe they, they jump to belief so quickly among the four of them. And then to your, yeah, like they, there's this, there's some like arcane elements to what they're doing that I just felt like we didn't get quite enough for it to feel earned. And so I'm sure some of that stuff is covered differently in the book. Um, but there's a universe of it. What's interesting. I mean, this is, it's not spoiler again, cause there's not really spoilers in this movie. They do all this stuff at the very, very end where they like reveal that like, look, all these people were all telling the truth because like, here's his, you know, badge from the Boston power company. And here's the picture of him with his, teams at the intramural sports thing at that point in the film if you didn't believe that he worked at the power company and the other guy was in like what are you left to believe like it was just i didn't understand i would have much preferred getting some backstory of those characters earlier i don't know how you do that structurally without making this movie two and a half hours long but it just yeah i don't know there was like yeah it's where there was like an unevenness to the time spent with the family and then the time spent with these four people who in reality, all of them and all of their sort of like belief structures around this apocalyptic event. Like it matters a lot. Like it matters that the four people believe this stuff really firmly and that the other three people don't believe it and they have to convince them. Like that's the whole arc of the film. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you, you, I, they only really show you the one side to, to some extent. Yeah. I mean, I, I myself, I go into any movie with a strong uh, sense of uh, suspension of belief. And as they started to explain things, the idea that these were the four horsemen of the apocalypse with 
a different definition that you would typically hear from revelations, you know, cause they all had different definitions than pestilence and war and famine, et cetera. But at the same time, it's pretty easy to fall into the belief if they're that they're going to become the four horsemen of apocalypse. They're going to get these strong visions and believe whatever is told them. But that does require a strong sense of disbelief or suspension of disbelief. I I, speaking of suspension of disbelief, I sort of had I mean, I, I get it in context of the movie, but it bugged me how perfectly timed the news segments were. It bugged me that he kind of be like, yeah. turn on the TV and they'd just be like breaking news. Yeah. And right now, uh, weird end of the world stuff happening. Yeah. Yes. And like the pain, you know, cause one of them's like a <laughs> pandemic and you're like, okay, like that's yeah, been yeah. happening people, for months. Like tons like, of what? people start dying right away. Yeah. See, and that one's bullshit. Well, that one's bullshit because the other ones you could at least argue like, oh, they refused. So planes just started falling from the sky. But with the pandemic one, like, so you're telling me, he just perfectly timed that report about this like death. Well, the tsunami one was even better because they kept pointed to that at a couple times. Angry dad pointed out that they knew about those earthquakes like four hours before those people showed up at the cabin. Well, or one they, of them they knew about, maybe not the right. same or something. No, like but that, the but yeah. tsunami. Right, but they knew of some of them. They had to have happened before those people showed up at the cabin. I bought into that. But no, that's, that's no, where, no, like, the but the timeline that, stuff is so weird. It's, like, does the yeah. book take place over a lot, like a month or something? Like, that's where it's wonky. But it's more my no. beef of like, I just think he mm. could have been a little more uh, delicate with the way he, like, I don't know, man. It's just Batista being like, turn on the TV, and then it's like, yeah. oh, we get the perfect thing we need to see, and then he turns it off, and it's like, okay. Well, they did flip yeah. around at one point. Yeah, I guess. Like, well, um, we'll find. Yeah, now, now I will say though, but like the news reports are key because in a movie with like six, seven people in it, it's the only time you get to add scope to it, and the mm-hmm. tsunami scene is really cool, uh, and it's like shot. They don't really get into this, but I, I guess you could argue it was like an Instagram live or something like that. Because otherwise, how would you get this video from this phone? That's how did that around video get on? Like yes. what they all they needed yeah. to do was add some little floating hearts over it to make it look like it was a live stream. Right. But they, they didn't. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, free you know, pointer. There's some free feedback that I mean, it's, it's fucking easy, John. Like, come on. You're know, a professional yeah. filmmaker. Uh, but that reminded me of like the the famous found footage clip in science of the alien at the birthday party. Like that's a, that's a famous M night moment that people cite as being like one of the scariest moments ever. And now this isn't that scary, but it does like, it's done really well. It adds scope and they do a little more of it with the planes and stuff. Like I could have used even more honestly, because it does Mm -hmm. make the film feel bigger, um, which I think you kind of need. Now I'm going to lean on Tilly for this part because I haven't read the book and I know Tilly you've uh, finished it recently from what I've read on social media, et cetera. I was really taken by the performance of Gwen in this movie. I thought that little girl was great and her enthusiasm and everything. I thought her acting was awesome, but I hear from what I've read, the, the outcome of Gwen is a lot different in the book than it is in the movie. And it That's makes true, and I think, and it kind of affects the ending. Go on, go on. I mean, a couple of things as we're talking about this this last piece, and this is not a spoiler for the book that I think would have been important if they had a little bit more of this in the movie that we didn't have, and that is that Eric, the dad who ends up concussed, 
is pretty religious, like comes from a religious background, is still religious. It's a bit of a tension in the marriage. Interesting. And there's kind and of like I feel like that and you get some of that and you get that background and I feel like this makes more sense. There's a like what we're seeing in the movie makes more there's sense. There's a small mm. moment where you it's kind of suggested that the other dad is wants to make sure he's not going that direction, but yeah, you don't have context yeah. for why he might think that. It's kind of a throwaway line. Yeah. I know what you're talking about, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Um Casey, yeah, when you were talking, I mean, I don't want to say too much about the book because I feel like if you liked this concept and these characters, I want people to go read it because of the two, I think the ending of the book is the one that I like better. And so I don't want to say too much about it, but there's something that happens with when right at the moment that you all in the emails were saying like, boy, it really dips at this moment. That's where that got excised from the excised from the interesting script from the story. Yeah. Yeah. And getting into full spoiler territory here, let's talk about the ending. They, uh, from everything I've read again, I haven't read the book, but it seems like the ending of the book is a lot more ambiguous. Whereas the movie, they go out of their way to, Definitely show us that everything's solved and everything's going to be okay. And I think that really detracts from the the 90% of this movie that I loved. Thoughts? You were not into the Boogie, sh- the boogie Shoes sing-along? I loved Boogie Shoes sing-along. Way, that was fine. So I was, it was not. The diner, no. it, was the, it was the diner scene and seeing like, oh, everything's resolved. Everything's okay. So this everything's going to okay, be good. But this that's is, the part that didn't sit well. It's really interesting that you say that, though, because that's kind of how I read it. But then I saw a bunch of people on Twitter or whatever, Twitter. But I saw a bunch of people being like, no, that's not the ending. Like, the world's really fucked up and is going to be like, is irrevocably changed. But I wonder if that's somebody bringing context from the book over. Or context from us living through fucking COVID-19. Maybe like yeah, was but- the, the kind of tweet that really pisses me <laughs> off. Right, or like, right. It's the kind of tweet that really pisses me off, though, where they're like, I feel like I'm being gaslit with like, can you believe people thought that was a happy ending? And I'm just like, I mean, that's kind of the way the movie's like presenting it to me, right? Like, well, right. to the extent the movie is or- about the main characters, the main characters have a happy ending, right? Like. You know, Jonathan Groff makes it, you know, Daddy Eric. In particular, because you get that speech from him where he's so at peace and just like, you know. Well, that's what I was going to say. I thought, Casey, the part you were reacting to was this movie goes very, very close and, and, uh, you know, fair to say over the line of like over explaining and and sort of over hand holding the audience at the end. So you have there's the whole like these were the four horsemen and we had to meet them and they had to die. And now I am at peace. Like there's like this very oh, sort of the four. Specific, okay. Pretty much the entire diner scene. The four horsemen thing actually really pissed me off because he says it in a way like the text of the film at all supports that. I was like, fucking I'm like, Oh, you mean these characters that are dead and I remember nothing about already? Like, Oh, this character is like blah, blah, blah. And I don't even get the connection he was making between the, the traits and the four horse, like what did that do with famine? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't get yeah. it. Right. But it, and it spit out really fast and very like, yeah, I agree. I but forgot about the, that, but I agree. 
the biggest thing is that the entire diner scene is they start to drive away and they come across the diner. They go into the diner and sit down and start watching news reports. And all the news reports are about, oh, everything magically stopped. Everything's great. <laughs> yeah. Everything's the, getting the better. Viral load it's is gonna going to be okay. Down. So they get in the car and sing rock and roll boogie shoes. Whereas if they would have ended this movie with the two of them getting into the truck and listen to rock and roll boogie shoes and driving off into the sunset without any of the diner stuff on what's happening in the world would have been awesome because you would have been left to wonder what's going on. Instead, it's like, oh, everything's going to be okay. You wanted the you didn't want the like we did it. Right. I just like that you get it where everyone's exhaling. It's going to be all right. Right. Because there is a huge buildup of tension all the way through Dave Batista and his ending in this. And we are told specifically there's a few minutes after that moment that they can still turn things around. But we don't know for sure if they waited long enough or not. So if they would have left that in our head, did they wait a little like dry dry out the tension a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's a reason I'll go even further and say there's a reason why my like favorite apocalypse movie is Melancholia, because like it, they just let it have like the actual world ends. <laughs> right. Like it gives you the satisfaction you never get from these movies. Yeah, because if they would have left it ambiguous, then there is still the weight of. These people made the ultimate decision to sacrifice one of their family to stop this from happening, but they waited till the very last moment to let all this bad shit happen, and which you have to consider because it is very much marked on every time they release a plague upon humanity because they put the mask on, somebody gets killed, one of the four. It's very marked, so each time – they put the mask on, a plague is released. So you know that they've done damage to humanity. But then when we get to the end, we're like, oh, well, it doesn't matter because everything's better. And they drive off into the sunset instead of what the hell's going to happen now. But this is where it's all just ridiculous. Like, yeah. why this family? Why? Like, that's what's a little like you do just have to be happy for those two people, even though you're right. Like, if they had just killed Jonathan Groff right away. The world is obviously in a better place than it is at the end of the movie, but it was also absurd to think that they were ever going to kill him right away. You know, that was never a real outcome, which, again, is why the tension never feels real, because there was there was just never a chance that that was going to happen. Was Jonathan Groth the uh, concussed dead? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, because. They're building up all this tension on making this decision, and all of a sudden, Jonathan Groff turns to, well, I'm the one. Take me. I'm concussed. Mm-hmm. Take me out. And it's just like cleanly wrapped up. That is where it starts to fall apart for me. Yeah, and I also have a question about the mythology of this movie. I think they say something about how families throughout history have had to do this. Yeah. So, like, is that throughout history, like, once every 500 years? Or is that, like, next week a different family might make a different decision and then we didn't have to kill them? Like, yeah. that didn't make a ton of sense. And are those four different people? Presumably, right? They get this vision and Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not the same people because they would have gotten better at convincing people. Well, they also murdered a bunch of them. Yeah, I decided the- not to think too hard about that part. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
that and who is the previous four for the last family, right? Yeah. Was yeah. that two years ago? Was that 500 years ago? Well, right. I guess like, <laughs> this is where, and then like, <laughs> are we to understand that this is like the first time that anyone's ever refused this much? Like, wouldn't everybody kind of refuse? Yeah, could, wouldn't there be like yeah. apocalypses all the time almost? Well, maybe that was the Black Plague and, and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, um, it was COVID that they refused the first time <laughs> and decided second, right? Eric, the, the, you you were joking, um, I think it was last week's episode, that your brother Mark uh, was very upset because this was basically Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. But not fun. He's not wrong. Yeah, no, like, he's not. He's, he's not at all. Yeah. So... It, I I would take Cabin in the Woods over this movie, to be fair. Oh, well, <laughs> oh, well yeah, I mean, come on. I see it as completely different myself. They're very similar. If you strip away the tone, they're extremely yes. similar concepts. Like, it's kind yeah. of, it's actually kind of That's wild. Fair. I keep forgetting about that very last moment of Cabin in the Woods, so. I mean, that's what it's about, is like sacrificing yeah. people to the Elder Gods. So they're, now... The difference being like those people aren't theoretically supposed to know what's happening. Like they just outsmart whatever. Yeah. Now I want to watch Cabin in the Woods. It's a good movie. <laughs> but I mean, does anybody else want to catch grasshoppers with Dave Batista after this? I kind of do. He seems like a cool dude. I just watched that uh, Knives Out movie too. I didn't love the movies like a lot, but I did like him in it. He's fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've heard I've similar been, things. I've mom. seen a couple articles talking about how Dave Batista as an actor is starting to outstrip Dave Batista's career as a wrestler. Oh, I, I which mean, I think is interesting. I mean, I I think I've heard people rightfully say that like he's probably the best actor that's ever come out of wrestling. Yeah, and I, mean, I like think the only the only really showcases that the only comparable like Dwayne Johnson's yeah, gonna but be upset he, to hear this. But Not that he's a great actor. I don't think The Rock has ever shown range like this, nor yeah. And the only other person I think you'd put in the conversation is John Cena, and he is a person who's tried. I mean, he's done some other stuff. He's certainly tried to like. Well, have he's some range, now but, more yeah. almost like a presenter. He's done like so many game shows. I feel like and things he like is yeah, now. John Cena is really funny. Like he, yeah, he yeah, did, yeah. What is that movie where they're like trying to track down? His daughter. Cock blockers. Or, yes. is blockers. The blockers is awesome. Blockers. Yeah, blockers. like he's really funny yeah. in that movie. But, I, but yeah, Batista, man. He's cool. He's a good, good dude. <laughs> Do you want to try a German IPA? Or, uh... <laughs> is there any uh, anything else you guys want to talk about? How was your theater experience? I was in RPX I so. with like four other people, and that was pretty sweet. So I was at, uh, I went with uh, friends of the show, Matt and Jamie, here in New York, and we were in the in the Dolby Theater uh, in like one of the AMC's. It's it, I don't know. They just like slapped a bunch of extra, you know, color on the outside of it. That said, good seats. It was like it was basically like up to IMAX in terms of like quality of screen and sound system, but just not the humongous screen. Yeah. So uh, Dolby Theater, I'm in for that now. Going mm-hmm. forward, I guess. I had a fine experience, and it was a fairly full theater, but it wasn't like too uh, crowd interactive or anything that like that. I heard a couple of oh like that throughout the movie, which is cool, but that was about the extent. As long as I can keep, get my feet up on that seat in front of me, I'm feeling pretty good, and I was so. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 
I had one of, I went two towns over to this theater that I hadn't been to. And I'm, I live where, kind of where I grew up. Um, I hadn't been to this theater in probably 25 years. And they just completely retricked it out and made it this mm. massive, it's like this old historic theater. And it's like, it's now like heated barca loungers at every seat. And I had it pretty much to myself. There were two people in the back and me. And so the screen was so big and so good. I needed a little relief from being that close to Dave Bautista's face. At first, I have to say <laughs> oh, okay. Much. Thank you. Actually, <laughs> I do have one more thing to say. I could not stand the fucking close-ups. Like, I understand it as a creative choice, but it's too much. And when you're in a movie theater, you're legit like counting people's pores on their face. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a thing about pores, do not watch this movie. Like you will have issues. Yeah. It, I liked it. I was, I was there for it as a, as a creative choice. I just felt lazy to me. Like I don't, to just do everything in close up. Like what is the point of that? I don't get it. I understand it. As a I understand it in certain scenes to like accentuate certain kind of reactions and stuff, but when mm-hmm. you're doing it every fucking shot, I just I just feel like it's like laziness. It was a mas- lot. Of it's laziness it, masquerading as creativity. I feel like as know. a man with a large head, I could totally sympathize with some of those close-up shots of the strain on the glasses yeah. that were on Dave Batista's face. <laughs> he does have. I think he Me would too. probably. I think he would probably even admit that he's got quite the melon. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Love it. But he pulls it off well. <sighs> All right. Would you recommend this movie, Matilda? Yes. Casey? Yes. Jonathan? I'll say at home. I, I can give it a, it's like a halfway recommend. I think I'm with you, John. I think I'm with you. All right. Let's take a quick break and do some fan mail. They're coming for me. The creators of Tales from the Crypt have unearthed a story so terrifying it can only be seen on the big screen. (laughs) Ordello of Blood. Go for it! Rated R. Starts Friday, August 16th at theaters everywhere. Hi, this is Billy Bryan, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, and you're listening to Bloody Good Horror. an email today from i don't know if this this person was a listener or they just found us online but wanted to interview somebody interview somebody for a research paper on my bloody valentine and they reached out to us to find a horror expert john so i was like and you were like i I happen to know one sure me sure kid (laughs) send me what you got so i I was doing that for the show 
I think that makes me like a professor emeritus. Is that how that works? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's how that works. (laughs) Yeah. You're on your way. You know, John, I like to give back everyone. It's being an expert witness. Yeah. Cement my place in history. good times um this kid like used chat gbt to write the rest of his paper but he got like <laughs> several quotes from parents <laughs> that's cool put put me into there i want to be a part of it train your ai Sorry, on no. my thoughts the world could only be a better place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah uh patreon.com slash bloody good horror john mm-hmm. if you were on patreon you right now could be watching a video live stream on YouTube. You could see Matilda's amazing green hair. You could see Casey's um, like Grateful Dead Jesus look that he's been rocking the last couple of years. Uh, <laughs> John, I don't know what your look is. What is that? Like a scar? Like a scars guard cousin? Hmm. Uh, sure, <laughs> I'll take that. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That's like the nicest thing you've ever said to me, I think so. That's I say nice things to you all the time. You may not like them because they're creepy, but I still say them all the time. Oh, um, Can I just say real quick while Eric's inflating my ego that I did have six inches cut off my hair. Wow. It's looking good, buddy. That's wild. <laughs> that shit's still on. <laughs> it is. What kind of shampoo are you using on that mane there? I use the... Uh, Old lady, uh, white enhancing uh, shampoo. It's like a dark purple. Oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's good stuff. And then does that is there is there a conditioner built in there too? I don't know, but it makes my hair nice and uh, fluffy. Interesting. I like Wait, it. What is white enhancing? Yes, it's like to help keep your uh, gray and blonde hair from uh, yellowing as you go over time. It helps enhance it and uh, makes it stand out. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Stately. I need, need some for my beard, I guess. Um, yeah. So, John, at patreon.com, you can get a live stream of the show. Mm-hmm. You can get back episodes. You can get join in our amazing Slack community. You hang out on Slack long enough, we'll just put you in charge of the website. That literally uh, happened. <laughs> that's actually an invitation. So. <laughs> um, yeah, BGH was down this week. It's yeah. back now. We're in the process of fixing it with some help from Mark, Thank you, uh, Cram. Casey, from Jody, and some lovely patrons. Shelton's been helping out. We did get to see Mark's amazing 404 image of the site, like under which is <laughs> that amazing photo of you, John, with a mustache from like the Philippines or something back, back the in the handlebar. Day. Yeah, I was in Indonesia. That was when I was I had, I did a trip. Yeah, missed the missed the show that week, and I sent a pic. It was, was well, classic. it's my pick. It's the pick I was using as my icon or mm-hmm. like my whatever on the site. I think that's where he must have grabbed it. Well, I also Is it keep a real it. Mustache? Yeah, well, it was like, yeah, I just like let the. I also keep it on my schnar sides, but you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, the site's back. If you happen to notice that it was down. Apologies for the inconvenience, John. Um, patreon.com slash bloody good horror. Also, if you want to email us info at bloody good Caitlin from Kissimmee is just on a, on a tear this week. And like more than one of these emails, I feel like she's taking shots at us. So I'm not going to read them all, John. I feel like she's no, fun. So she tells us we don't have it or something. Anymore. You have that editorial, uh, right. Um, yeah. Slash power. Um, she does take issue. Then uh, I guess maybe me, cause I was the one who was going hard on not liking black phone. Um, uh, well, we'll see. Cause I missed that episode and then I ran it about it in a subsequent episode, but 
Yeah. Did you also not like it? Black Phone. Yeah, that movie. I hate it more the further I get away from it. It's trash. It's trash, dear. It's I was okay the with most it. absurd thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but, but yeah. Oh, God. The phone. It. Matilda, don't get me started. It's. Uh, um, <laughs> she is fired up here about uh, Skinamarink. She's. Oh, my God, John. It's fucking skin. Wait, is she pro Skinamarink? No, no, no. I'm oh, trying so hard God. to be mature about this movie. Like, I got my feelings out. But like, it's just, I continue to see it on Twitter and then like people keep bringing it back up on Slack and I'm like, you guys got to stop. I only have so much self-control here to not dive into this conversation. Uh, Caitlin says, I don't listen to your newer episodes right away, but Skinamarink from what you're saying is actually a creepypasta from the later 2000s. I listened to this story on the No Sleep podcast probably seven years ago. Does no one care anymore about that stuff with a world full of research and the absolute guarantee you could have as a filmmaker to not steal content? It's really, really sad this made well over $1 million. Also, I absolutely do not believe that leaked content ever actually is accidental anymore. Thank you, Caitlin. Uh, seems like the new age, quote, this movie made someone die in the theater ploy. Thoughts? I think fully. <laughs> well, no, what did I say in the show? I think I said that I just like the idea that it did happen accidentally because to think that it was intentional makes the person sound really genius. And I kind of like to think that it was accidental, but Matilda, have you seen Skinner Marink? No, but I have been watching the, um, the polarization with some interest. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause I think, I think it was like the week after we had Rachel and she hadn't said, I'm, I'm so jealous y'all not, not having uh, you know, but yeah, at some point you're going to have to wait. There's people who liked it. People who also were like, that was bullshit. You know, like <laughs> very yeah. polarized. Yeah. At some point I'll need to watch it. And I don't care. I can't, I don't know if it was a joke or not, but I swear I saw like Skinamarink too, greenlit or something like that. So get ready for that, John. 2020. Get out of here. What are they going to do? Set a camera up in a fucking dark corner for another, you know, two hours? Uh, get out of here. <laughs> uh, I mean, they could make a second one. The first one cost $10 million or $10,000. Like, he probably made three of them while he was making $10, the first $10,000? Oh, yeah, that he made it for like we 10 or 15 it. grand. We covered it. That's the camera, basically, is what that is. The camera, yeah, I mean, the camera and the Legos. <laughs> 60 bucks on Legos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, Casey, what's on Twitter tonight? All right. We got three tweets tonight. First up, let me see here. Uh, we have from at Duck Sensual. What's your favorite M. Dyke acting performance in one of his movies? <laughs> Zero. This might have been up there for me. Zero. He plays. So in this one, he's playing a, uh, what, what is that? Like a QVC, the, the sort of. Yeah. TV shopping. Isn't he in old one hotter. of the? Isn't he an old one of the scientists in the weirdly dimly lit lab at the end? The lab that's lit by like candlelight that they walk into. It's just like dramatic movie lit, but not science lit. Like you couldn't do science in this lab. That's the one thing I remember from it. <laughs> I forget where he shows up in old. He definitely was there. I don't like, like that, him. That I think yeah. he's a bad actor and distracting. So I pretty much I'm just rolling my eyes anytime I well, see the, him. Well, you want yeah. him as little as possible, or in like a goofy sort of. In a moment like this where, yes, it was obviously distracting and ridiculous, but fine and and not it did not nope. disturb the overall. Yeah. What was he in? He the was, ha 
Is he, what was he in the happening? Is he the guy that like drives his car into a tree or something? Remember there's a dude that's like sitting there yeah. and they try to talk to him. And then he kills himself. I'm getting just blank stares. Sure. From people. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Next up we have from our longtime friend at Skizbot. The pitchfork axe combo seems effective. Sledgehammer on a chain. Less so. <laughs> what would you use to construct your own Honestly, personal end of days weapon of doom? They show so little of those <laughs> deaths. I couldn't even tell you how they were dying. Like where yeah. they because at first I thought they were like slamming their own heads into the implements. And then I'm like, oh, no, I think Batista's doing this. Like, I no, really well, the couldn't the first tell. one, what? they like double hit the person because they do then pull back and you see both of them pull their it's very implements it's out very, of their head. It's very spatially confusing. If yeah. Right. And you see Batista like do a big overhead swing on the first one. But then Sabrina, when she gets shot. That's like what kills her effectively. And then he goes over, puts the hood on her and then does the then smacks her with the full, the full on. Yeah. So I know when I was ready for some like real Rorschach stuff through those white masks, but we right. didn't get so much of that. Well, you get a, with um, Batista when he gets it, there is that sequence of the blood drip. I, see, that's where the, so I liked some of the cinematography or sort of framing choices that were made around some of that stuff. But some of it was like odd and, and yeah. unhelpful. I thought Rupert Grit, like when he was, he was the first one to be sacrificed and watching him put his mask on. I thought that whole breakdown mm-hmm. of that scene was really effective. He was yeah, freaking yeah. out. He was upset, but he was doing what he had to do. I thought it was super effective. I think it's yeah. weird that there, he has a connection. And he's like, look at me. I think it's yeah. weird that, I think it's weird that he's a connection to them. That means nothing to the plot. I agree. That was weird. That was very yeah. bizarre. Yeah. That was felt tacked on. Was that was from the book. I presume that's like a big plot point to, Inventors. It's also true. Yeah, there, but it lets you get back to that scene of what's happened to Angry Dad. Oh, that, yeah. Where true. you know that Angry Dad is also kind of like traumatized dad. Well, and it gives you, it gives you the like, it gives you more reason for Angry Dad to be sort of to disbelieving doubt. of them. Um, yes. Eric, yes. you didn't get your commentary in on the Rupert Grant accent. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little shaky. Although I do think he's pretty creepy. I think I thought his performance oh. was pretty good. I will say too, his whole look. This is... movie, well, a little bit orange and teal, but n- not aggressively so. And I think I was helped by having mm-hmm. just seen "There's Something Wrong with the Children," which, as we covered, is an egregious error in cinema <laughs> of teal and orange. All right. Finally, we have from at GRV SLV for Matilda. Fuck, Mary kill. Super Dave Osborne, Dave Grohl or Dave Thomas of Wendy's fame. <laughs> Wait, Dave. super. who's Super Dave? Who's the first one? Super Dave? Super Dave Osborne? Oh, super yeah. Dave. Oh. Like the stunt man? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah Slash yeah. comedian. When he was on Curb, right? Stunt man. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like you're supposed to want to fuck a stuntman, but that sounds exhausting. <laughs> um, Wait, who was the second one? It was Super Dave, Dave, Dave Wendy's. Grohl. Oh, Dave Grohl. Ooh. Yeah, Dave Grohl or Dave Thomas of Wendy's fame. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm going to go with Mary uh, uh, Dave Thomas for Wendy's fame. That's yes, like a, me too. A, that's Dave, a legacy, Dave right? Tom, Dave like I don't know. I like a, I really like a frosty. I might go with the fucking Dave Thomas. Um, <laughs> yeah, but if you marry him, you get a frosty every day. <laughs> yeah, then he's frosties for life. Yeah. I get, yeah, but you need you need a frosty to be special. You know, I bet you would still get the baked potato part. <laughs> that's hilarious. Eric, um, you may appreciate the uh, the the business school at Duke has a building named after Dave Thomas, the R. David Thomas Center. Nice. So, after yeah. Wendy's. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna go marry Super Dave. I love oh, Super cool. Dave. Poor Dave girl. Oh boy. Super Dave, you'd I mean, never I'm be a boring. Sure it would be mutual. I would you definitely. I, mean? I would definitely about. kill. A I, would de- old lady. I would definitely kill Super Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it would be mutual. <laughs> it's not that's not the question. Uh, good God! Nobody's asking okay. what Super Dave would do. That's it for Twitter. No Eric. one's asking. Uh, if- no one's asking Super Dave to f Mary kill the BGH podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically they can't anymore. <laughs> yeah. All right. Saying it's not mean if it's mutual. That's true. <laughs> we outlived you, Super Dave. You might say we won in the end. That's All it right. for Twitter, Eric. What do you got on Instagram? We got some good ones. Some good ones. Da, 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 a lot of M. Night Shyamalan questions. What movie had the best twist ending ever, not limited to M. Night? My pick for this was Saw. Oh, God, because that is a good one. I remember <laughs> sitting in the theater and people losing their shit when that dude gets up at the end. Like, that is <laughs> such a good moment. I don't know. I would have had to, like, you got to give me, like, a list for me to pick from, I think. But Saw is very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was I mean, pretty into uh, It's really good. That's well, we'll get yeah, There's questions know. later on about M. Night specific twists. Okay. I was pretty into Sixth Sense, uh, Sixth Sense myself when I saw it the first time. Even though Cully, my wife, was like, "How did you not figure that out?" <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Guys, Planet of the Apes. That's a real yeah. good one. Yeah. Yeah, that's good OG. stuff. Damn dirty apes. Yeah. <laughs> Take your hands off me, you dirty. I've talked apes. about this before, and now you got to get me on this fucking ranting and. Not a rant, but AMC used to just do Planet of the Apes marathons where they'd show all the insane sequels they made mm-hmm, and they had this great yeah. documentary series. It just, you just. We talked about it recently, didn't we? I think I we covered this. Talked, yes, we did. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. <laughs> I think Casey sang the songs then yeah. too. Yeah. Actually, so. Can I play the piano anymore? <laughs> well, of course you can because um, I couldn't before. <laughs> <laughs> what do you all think is the most disappointing Shyamalan movie? The happening. Mm. I mean, it's that or Lady in the Water, which I, as I said, I have not even seen. Here, so, uh, I will say Glass because Split is Split was like his comeback, and it's so good. You're like, oh shit, yeah, make another one of those. And the quality drop off is astonishing. Like how different I mean, those movies are. I agree with you that it is in the top three worst. I'm not even gonna fight. Like, it, yeah, it could be the worst, but. The happening was so He didn't say bad. worst, he said disappointing. Yeah. Now, oh, the argument okay, that's fair. The argument I will make for the happening is like it the trailers made that look scary. So you're hoping to go in and get like and it, oh and if you remember, it was his first R-rated movie. That's mm. why there was hype mm. around the happenings. People were like, "Oh shit, mm. what's it going to be?" See, but the happening relied entirely on Marky Mark saying, "It's the trees." 
<laughs> that was around the era too when like SNL was was parodying uh, Mark Wahlberg and so like Andy Samberg was doing that impression. <laughs> say, I'm, say hi to your mom for me. <laughs> Um, I remember seeing the village in the theater and like we were excited. It was opening night and it was in this big like historic theater where we are where they have the mighty Wurlitzer that comes out and plays the the big (laughs) pipe organ. Um, So it's like a deal to go to this theater. And when the credits went down at the end, the guy in the front row center was like, well, that sucked. (laughs) <laughs> now so see mad. i love i love that one i love the village but it but that was a pretty that was one of his first like really polarizing ones i feel like yeah that was the first yeah. time where people are yeah, like i think it's the ups and downs of him yeah um the outwaters in theaters this week or Screenbox late february better than skin and rank for schnarz's sake did not spell your name right missed an a i mean all right like what if is that's the bar what is the Outwaters? I don't know. I was pulling it up right now. Um, it's a. F- it says fantasy mystery on Google. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll have to do a little research here. Uh, An excursion up. into the Mojave Desert turns creepy when a group of campers starts to experience unexplained sounds, vibrations, and unnatural animal behavior. I do like creepy ex- excursions. Um, mm-hmm. what is your best and worst Shyamalan twist? <sighs> I want to say my favorite is the village. Although six senses, I mean, it's, it's easy to forget that one cause it's so old, but that was, that movie yeah. blew people away when it came out. It's gotta be six Sense is definitely the best worst. Like I said, we've covered, there's a lot of worse. I don't know. Like we haven't touched on it, but the visit. So Eric, I was visit looking. It's so good. Uh, you got the order slightly off. Uh, he did Avatar. Then he did the After Earth or whatever the hell that was called. Um, but they did. And then it was like, it was like two or three years. And then mm-hmm. he comes back with the visit. The visit was great. And the twist was really good. Yeah, it really was. Apparently, too, I was reading that he has self-financed. He's been self-financing these movies, which is super interesting. Uh, I mean, or like self, like he's raising the money himself. He but he has a deal with Universal. I'm fairly sure because the last like four or five movies have come from Universal. I don't know. Maybe it's a distribution. It's Well, look, the other thing he like set up a studio in suburban Philadelphia, like he's very like loyal and dedicated and like. I think he generates a lot of jobs and like economic sort of impact there. And so he's a good dude. Like I got no qualms with, you know, how he handles his business. And to your point, it allows him the flexibility to do whatever he wants creatively. So as you were mentioning earlier. All right. A couple more questions. The better knock movie, this one or knock, knock. Probably knock knock. <laughs> I do like that movie. <laughs> that was uh, uh, what's his name? Um, God damn it! I wish you, you could know. see my face too when I retroactively found John out. John Wick. Then when I retroactively found out found out that Anna Diarmas was in that movie, I was like, oh my lord! <laughs> oh, is she one of the girls? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that tracks. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Um, is yeah, I never saw this. 
Oh, oh gosh. pretty wild. Matilda, you are in for a treat. So Knock Knock is like Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves is like a married dude. His wife's out of town. He's like a rich architect. And Anna Diarmas and this other actress who at the time was Eli Roth's wife, I forget her name, show up at the door and the rain. And they're like, we need, can we come in and like call a cab? And they basically like seduce him. There's like an extended, very nude lovemaking scene that just like all over this house, like they seduce him and he resists for a while and he just can't resist. Then they all fall asleep. And when they wake up, when they wake up, they are, they like flip 180 and are insane and won't leave the house and are threatening, basically trying to extort him. (coughs) Like we're going to tell your wife if you don't do what, blah, blah. I don't remember exactly what their aim is, but, um, it's pretty wild. It's it's not it's hit or miss, but it's a pretty wild experience. I remember it probably more fondly than yeah. I even enjoyed it at the time. But uh it's Keanu. I mean it's yeah. Especially I think in his Renaissance, it's an interesting one. Um is M Knight the most polarizing director working? If not, who is? Come on, there's not even close like Rob Zombie. I, I yeah. said Rob Zombie, yeah. There's, there's definitely others. I've said this before, but I think this movie is a good example that M Night does better with other people's material. And that's always credited on the screenplay here. I mean, that's always what we've said about Rob Zombie too. He just has never refuses to. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think he's a great director. It's just he needs to lay off the writing a little bit, or needs some assistance. Rank these previous to 2022. I would have said Ty West. In the the horror world, I feel like there was. I mean, Ty West is another one that has had his kind of down swings, but he's really proven himself. I think. Well, certainly now, I I just feel like I don't even know that. Like, I wouldn't have classified him as having down, or I wouldn't have categorized them as down swings. I just think he like made movies that he wanted to make, and other people didn't like. I think. (laughs) I think in particular, like House of the Devil, and also definitely the Innkeepers are like pretty polarizing movies. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's that was my point. Um, Eli Roth, I think at times is up there. Oh boy, I think oh, yeah. most people are just down on Eli boy, Roth howdy. these days. But yeah, I see that. In honor of Valentine's Day, what is the best romance in a horror film? Um, Jamie not, Lee Curtis not. and the <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis and the old cop in the hospital bed in Halloween Kills. <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. Stop. I'm going to pull out my geek card and say, just watch uh, Hammer's Vampire Lovers. I really liked, what was that zombie movie with Rob Corddry? Oh, what the fuck? It's like a, it's very like tween. Warm bodies? Are you? Yes. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's some good romantic, romantical stuff in that movie. Uh, I was going to say, let the right one in. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's like preteen romance. I would say that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's romance. It's not great, but it's romance. <laughs> uh, last question. There's a great, very sweet music movie called Extraordinary. Oh, mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. Extraordinary. British. Yeah, yeah. That's adorable. Yeah. Like, that's a lovely little romance. That is a good one. one. Mm-hmm. What's that about again? That's with um, what's not well, what's not well, Arnett. What's his name? Uh, is Oh, Will Forte. Will Forte. He went yeah. to my high school. Will Forte. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he plays like the, what is yeah, he? He's like a magician. It's an Australian. Like a, he was a failed, he was a failed musician that was like, uh, 
oh, like Pink Floyd type of weird extravagant yeah, no, I type of rock. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Last question. How long would it have taken you to decide to self-sacrifice to stop the apocalypse? It took them a bit. Smiley face. Um, I would not have. I would have let the world end, probably. Well, I think the time they made the decision was like the appropriate no, time. But like, here's how they have to let it get. No, to but them. here's how they hedge it to, though, which is that it's not just that the world ends. You don't get to die with the world ends. You get to Twilight Zone style, walk the earth alone for the rest of eternity, which and they right. almost kind of make it sound like you're stuck in purgatory and can't just like kill yourself sort of. But like they almost have to bake that in, I feel like, because otherwise I think it's a pretty clear answer, John. <laughs> like if you're just going to go down with everybody, like, fuck it, let's do this. I don't have a retirement, so what do I, oh, I don't need to be here. <laughs> so yeah, it's tempered by how much I love watching disasters in real time. Like mm-hmm. as somebody who grew up in an earthquake place, you like drive to the earthquake epicenter and see all the trees. <laughs> I mean, again, it's what makes it. Like you want to see it. <laughs> it's what makes that finale of Melancholia like so stunning when the, like you just watch the earth disintegrate, basically. Yep. That's I feel it. Like it's why I went to see San Andreas in the theater, even though it's, <laughs> it's not a good movie. Wow. Like it's not good, but I wanted to see my hometown. You found uh, Matilda's thing. I like it. Matilda, um, <laughs> where can people find you? Uh, they can find me and my co-host who you've seen here, Rachel and Ariel over at ZG podcasts uh, on all of the social medias. Um, and right now we're doing a, um, it's black history month. So we're doing a everyday Every weekday, we're doing different um, black creators in horror. Nice. So people should come check that out. That's where they can find you when not under an electric blanket. Although sometimes That's also right. at the same time. I was going to say, maybe still I can multitask. Them. I can be under an <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, I have actually the day you hear this, John, you'll know this because you follow me on Spotify. Mm-hmm, but I will mm-hmm. have a new single out the day this show drops on Friday. So check me out, hy-fy, it's hi-fi on Spotify. Check me out, John. And give me a follow, please. I have a uh, five-track EP coming out the end of the month as well. Yay. Uh, Casey, what about you? I'm on Instagram, cinema.permage. You can follow my art over there. Uh, there's going to be a uh, sketchbook coming out soon. Love it. All right. That's going to do it for knock at the cabin. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and we'll be back next week. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.